What's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners? This is your co-host, Ridge. Um, we are back. Hey, just chiming in over here as well from the Mitten State. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time, but we wanted to, to get back on here and uh, talk a little bit about the Euros and our immediate reactions to it. Um, obviously, I was very invested in the tournament, but I don't quite have the same level of emotional investment as my co-host Jack does over here. Um, as he was born in England, but uh, Jack, it turns out it's not coming home. Sorry to say. Um, how you feeling? Yeah. Um, it, to be honest, I, I've had kind of a wave of emotions. Um, not to yeah, and that sounds a little bit you know a bit melodramatic, but um, no, I've kind of gone you know I think I feel like England fans are all over the board in terms of the way they're their way they're reacting to this. Right? You have you have a, a select few of fans you know, think it's a disgrace. They're furious. They think they should, England should have won and they think the team is horse shit and whatever. Um, you've got sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, which is like, hey, we're, you know, we're proud of the boys. You did great. Um, you know, and, uh, and you know, this is the best tournament we've had. And, you know, we're finishing the semifinal of the World Cup and now the final of the Euro is, you know, uh, everything is gravy. And I think I lie somewhere in between those two extremes probably a little bit more towards the first end of the spectrum, which is, which is the, you know, frustration and disappointment um, for a few different reasons. Um, and of course, like, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to be binary here. I'm, I'm equally, I'm so proud and so happy and thankful, honestly, that I got to watch England play all the way through the Euros and play in a final. That was electric. I had people over at my apartment yesterday in Chicago. Like that was an absolute blast. I'm sure for everybody, Chris, like for you, just, I mean, watching England all turn along was just a blast, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I liked watching all the games, but, you know, just from my perspective, I have a lot of affinity for the country. I've taken three trips there in my life. I've had great experiences. I haven't traveled much internationally outside of that. Um, but, you know, we obviously watch the Premier League. We, we follow uh, what's going on in England and mostly are familiar with those players. And a lot of our friends are that way, too. You know, I had a couple of people over yesterday. We watched. I personally had a, a big future bet before the tournament on England to win. So I was also financially invested, too, not just emotionally. But, mm-hmm. um, no, they were fun. It was a fun story, um, despite the football maybe not being the most fun to watch. Um, and it's crazy. You know, as an American, I think a lot of us associate the sport so much with England. And, you know most people don't realize that are more casual fans that that's their first final they've been to in a a major competition in over 50 years um and so despite the reputation that they have as a country and and the history and all of that they really haven't had the success or even really sniffed much success over the past you know half century here which is crazy and um it was a great story and it was fun it reminded me a lot of the world cup um it's hard not to link those two together with england making the semis and that but it does feel like there's a they have a bit of a golden generation right now, and such a big opportunity. Um, so when you get that far, and fall just barely short like that, it's hard not to be disappointed. Um, but I think that they still should be proud of the performance. You know, they took Italy to penalties in the final. It doesn't really get much closer than that. And um, a lot of good takeaways. But yeah, it, it was a weird day today um, on Monday, the day after the fact. I feel like hung over emotionally a little bit. And especially watching those penalties yesterday, I, it was the excitement um, before every kick was just insane. I mean, I don't even know how you'd be able to watch. I barely could, but 
yeah, I mean, I guess that's my kind of immediate reaction. Uh, I'm very happy that I got to watch it, and I'm glad they made such a run because it made my experience a lot more fun. But it's it's definitely bittersweet because they came so close, and you, know, you don't really get much out of a, a final appearance um, despite some momentum and some positive takeaways probably. Right, and I think, I don't know, it's it's not the result of the tournament that, like, really frustrates me. Like, you know, losing in penalties is losing in penalties. It just is, it's kind of everything surrounding the finish that frustrates me. I think it's uh, it's naive and idiotic, quite frankly, as a football fan, to say that England's team right now isn't the best team on paper in, in, in world football. Um, I think they have probably the best number nine in the world in Harry Kane. Um, at least uh, a handful of top 10 to 20 midfielders in, in the world in their team. Um, a pick of Premier League goalkeepers to boot. Um, plenty of, uh, you know, of top six defenders. Um, their back line, two, two Manchester City defenders and two Manchester United defenders in the back line starting... Um, you know, in the back four with Shaw, McGuire, Stones, and Walker, and so I think it's I think it's naive and silly to say. And, and even if you look at some of the you know you look at the Copa that's going on, you look at Brazil's team, you look at Germany's team, who England beat two 0 uh, even the Italian team, uh, like everyone on everyone on England's team plays plays high level Premier League football, and the only two that don't are Jaden Sancho and Jude Bellingham, who play and, for Dortmund at a really high level, and Kieran, and Kieran Trippier, who plays in Spain for the league winners, Atletico Madrid. So, I mean, the team just top to bottom is just stacked with talent, and so. I think it's I think ultimately like when you don't finish where you where you don't finish as the winner of the tournament which again looking at their team you pay England played six out of their seven games at uh six out of seven games at home the only game they played on the road was the one one in Rome which was the uh which was the um semifinal um and it it just seems I, yeah, it, it just it, it's, it's that many games at home, that dominant of a squad, and then they didn't go out to any sort of individual error, right? So you would feel like Southgate wouldn't be the one to blame, and I think Southgate is the one to you know blame. I use that it's harshly because you lost in the finals and penalties, but like, oh, we didn't win, right? And you're in sport to win, and so when you don't win, you've got to think why didn't you win? And the the, the first place that your brain has to go with the single team is to Gareth Southgate because. You know, like I said, the, the squad is so deep and so talented, and you didn't lose on an individual error. It's not like someone had an own goal. It's not like someone, you know, we're just not talking about Robert Green, ball through the legs, whatever, whatever. Um, you know, a terrible back pass, missed tackle, red card, anything like that. It just tactically, and with the players that he played, and with the system that we rolled out in the final, um, I think it was good enough to get us to the stage, clearly. I mean, we didn't really face any strong competition Um I mean, yeah, of course, we beat Denmark in extra time in the semis, but, like, we were always favorites to win that game. Our team is much more talented than Denmark. Denmark's a good side. Then we beat Germany in the in the initial round of 16, which that was a KG affair. Could have very easily gone the other way. Thomas Mueller score, scores a goal. We end up winning 2-0. And so I think, you know, looking at the game yesterday, it's really frustrating because England go up in the exact same way that they did in the semifinal of the World Cup against Croatia. Uh-huh. Then they go up early. Trippier scored in the Croatia game. Luke Shaw scored, so the other outside back scores from in this Trippier. game. And then, uh, yep. And then immediately for the rest of the game, we sit back and absorb. And then we go into halftime, um, and I, I'm just I'm very frustrated and kind of dumbfounded by our game management that we didn't. If we would have switched to a four-two-three-one at halftime, I think we go on and win the game. 
right? Even if we just play a higher press five two three, uh, you know five two three one um, at halftime, we go on and win the game. Um, and uh, um, sorry, a five two two one. But I, I, I just think it's it's. It, I'm very, very frustrated with the way that Southgate managed the final in the game, and I understand it got us the, and I understand it got us that far, and I understand being pragmatic did that, but it, it just, you know, it, it, it almost feels like we're going to keep having these keep deep tournament runs because we won't concede. We're going to be difficult to score goals against. England will be right. We've got great defense, like I said, um, so we're going to keep having these deep tournament runs. But I just don't think when it comes to beating three, you know, two to three good sides at the end of the tournament if playing the brand of football that we're playing is going to get that done. And that's what's, fr- and that's, what's frustrating. Yeah. So it's interesting you say that. And I wanted to bring this up. Um, we had a conversation. It was kind of heated, honestly, probably about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago uh, about the style of football that England was playing in the tournament. And I was pretty critical of Southgate at the time. Um, and you had a little bit of a different take and kind of surprised me saying that, and you can, you could probably say it better than I could, but about how, you know, that's the way that you win tournaments is setting up defensively and being really solid at the back and not conceding. And I mean, it did work to get to the final Italy played in a similar fashion, I would say um, as well. And they're in the final, but I think um, what was most frustrating for me was I really don't think that Southgate necessarily played to England's biggest strengths. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier, uh, their depth. I think that they were arguably the deepest team at the tournament, at least in the late stages. Um, and the commentators were even saying that on my broadcast yesterday um, that England had a big advantage on the bench versus Italy. And Italy made six substitutions yesterday in the final. Um, and all of them were before, you know, the last 10 minutes of the match or whatever. And England made, um, you know, a, a couple at the last gasp there to bring on penalty takers. Um, but they, they waited so long. And you look at some of the numbers from the game, they had one shot on target. It was in the second minute, in the goal. And Harry Kane, who you just said is probably the best number nine in the world, had zero touches in the opponent penalty box. Zero in an 120-minute game that he played all of. So, you know, you talk about Harry Kane, who was probably their best player. He was their captain. He was pretty ineffective for large portions of the tournament. I know he got some goals, yeah, but yeah, he really yeah, wasn't. He did, they did not bring out the best of him. Um, and I think the only, only part that Southgate really got right was... Um, the defenders, and I think Harry Maguire coming back and being healthy was huge. I thought he was great. I think when he puts on an England shirt, he's just a different player, um, and you see you see his confidence with that penalty he took, and, and he just brings out a whole different part of that side. But, you know, when it comes to the midfielders, they were so defensive. You, you have Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips both playing every game, and they're, they're very defensive-minded. I know Phillips pushed up a little bit more, but he's not really that like attacking, creative player that you kind of want there. And then you have what they did yesterday with you have Kane and Sterling and then Mason Mount, who I love Mason Mount, and you know this. I am, like, the biggest Mason Mount lover on the planet. People probably get annoyed with me talking about him. He was terrible. Like, he did nothing yesterday, and it, I don't really think it's his fault. He's just not that player. They needed another, like, wider attacking player, a good – you know, you needed a Phil Foden or a Jack Grealish or maybe even a Jaden Sancho or, or somebody or, or start Saka. I mean, Saka came off the bench and was ineffective, but – I just would like them to go for it a little bit more. Like, what do you have to lose, right? Like, you're already. So I think there. I just think I, I I yeah I just think it's one of those things where we get we get we get to the we get to halftime, and we're we took it on a bit of pressure at the end of the first half. And I'm thinking, 
Okay, I mean, we're definitely going to make some adjustments here to make sure they don't exploit the same areas in the second half because we had, they, we had some pressure at the end of the first half. We come out second half, exactly the same team, um, and I think that's where the game was lost going into halftime because um, clearly our team talk and the way we sort of broke down uh, the mentality of the back half of the, of the game or the way we wanted to play, we got shelled for 45 minutes trying to hold on to a one nothing lead. Um, Bonucci scores from a set piece, which again kind of exposed, you know, Pickford's a great shot stopper, and I'm not going to say he had a bad tournament, but like that exposes his his inefficiencies from set pieces. Was, you saw Donnarumma, who's about six foot six, six foot seven. It was just a, immense. It was a mucky corner goal, to be fair. Right, but that's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to get in close to, to, to Pickford um, and know that he's not going to come out and claim the ball. Again, the opposite of what Adonarum is going to do. And so, you know, Italy kind of get one of those goals. They manufacture one, and um, and then they go on to they go on to win the game. Um, we, you know, we never seriously threatened in, in extra time. Um, and, you know, that it, it, ultimately the game sort of fizzed out into penalties, Italy making all six subs, basically, at, you know, hoping that we weren't going to use all six subs. And so I, I just think it's, you know, I just think it's frustrating because I think, yeah, of course. The the other, uh, of course, I'm happy England won in the final, and I'm not going to sit here and you know pretend that I'm hard done to because England lost in the final. But these moments are so few and far, in, is few and far between, where you know to find yourself in the semifinal and then a final, and it feels like you take the same goddamn punch to the stomach, you know, in consecutive tournaments, and there's there's no learning curve or there's no learning lesson from there. Um, you know, it almost feels like we just need a bit of a bravado. We need a bit of, uh, you know, we, we need a bit of, I don't know, it's confidence or just kind of like um, at the end of the game there. And you could tell our penalty selection reflected that. I think it reflected sort of the cowardice or the sort of the lack of bravery tactically that we had. Our penalty selection, I think, reflected that, right? Um, you bring on two subs right at the end of the game thinking that they're going to take better penalties. I mean, who else, who's that? on if not the manager if you bring on two substitutes and they both don't score their subs literally the only reason you brought them on was to take penalties and they both don't score their penalties um and then you know you have the youngest player uh i think Saka is the youngest or the second youngest outside of phil foden on the uh, team no to, that's uh, uh bellingham but uh, sorry yeah jude bellingham's the youngest and you but Saka, and so he's a teenager youngest, i think Saka, um and you have him take the the fifth penalty and i i it's it's just it's really fucking frustrating chris because it's it's you know, I, I don't want to sit here and sound bitter, right? Because I, that's wrong. I mean, England won the final. I, awesome. Great. Yes, of course, I'm very happy. And of course, it's fun to be an England fan when they go to the final. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm happy with the semifinal one. I'm happy with the quarterfinal one. And I'm really thankful, you know, uh, that it was, a, it was a great tournament. And honestly, the past month or so watching the tournament has been, been brilliant. Um, but at the same time, like, I'm not just going to say, yep, great, no worries. We lost in the final, um, you know. Let's, let's let's roll up our sleeves and let's do it again yeah, next tournament. Around. Like I, I yeah, I just can't fucking do that, especially when I feel like um, you know in 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 the key moments, I feel like the path was so easy for England, right? You have the best deepest team in the tournament. You're playing so many games at home. Um, I think you know there has to be some form of accountability to the decision making at the end of the tournament. And I think at the end of the game, you, you we lacked whether it's star power, whether it's you know, real conviction with your penalty takers, whether it's real conviction with your tactics in terms of trying to reach out and go for the game a little bit more. You have two of the most, three of the most prolific 
four most prolific attacking midfielders um, in the world on your bench in Sancho, Rashford, Foden, Grealish. It's not like you're struggling for attacking, you know, attacking intent. And you've got to think if you're Gareth Southgate, well, I don't want this to go to penalties. John Aruba's got almost a foot on my on my goalie. You. I don't want this to go to penalties. I was about to say that. I mean, don't, there's a million reasons why you don't want to go to penalties, right? It's an absolute shit show when it gets to penalties. But you're going up against the last guy on earth I'd be wanting to take penalties against in Donnarumma. And you, you're England. You have this reputation of being choke artists. The Italians, I just felt way more confident in them to be able to step up and make penalties. And, you know, you're Gary Southgate, who I hate to say it, but, you know, in the 96 Euros, this is the guy that missed the final penalty against Germany in the semis and they lost. So, like, he's already has that in the back of his head probably where it's like, oh, well, shit, I don't want to go to penalties here because, you know, I don't have a great track record with that. But I think I'm really frustrated with Southgate in a lot of ways, but I'm pretty angry with him with the way he set up the penalties and not even just because of the result, but it is so, so, so unfair to Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho to not play them all tournament. I mean, Sancho came off the bench one game and played probably like 20 minutes, I think. I don't, I'd have to look it up. I don't think Rashford played a single minute all tournament before that. I'm pretty confident he did not. And you bring him on, and their only moment is a moment where they just have the weight of the entire country on their shoulders. And it's just so unfair to two young players to do that, to not give them any opportunities all tournament and then put them in the, the highest pressure situation with no warm-up. I mean, think about it. You know, like I think Rashford even came out and said that he didn't have the best season this year. He was probably lacking a little bit of confidence. Well, you just sat on the bench for a month. Uh, t- how's that for confidence, right? Like, what are we doing there? And you got, and I don't think Raheem Sterling is necessarily a, a great penalty taker. You got Raheem Sterling, you got Jack Grealish on the pitch, and you go to Saka, who's 19, who has had a rough game. And I don't, I mean, have you ever seen him take a penalty? Like, it's not like he does that for no, Arsenal. I no. So I don't know where that's coming from. And I know Roy Keane came out after the match and said that it's an absolute joke that Sterling and Grealish wouldn't step up and take it. And Grealish came back and said, I wanted to take a penalty. Like, I was there to take a penalty. You know, and I don't think those are guys that are going to back down from the occasion. I don't think Raheem Sterling is going to say, nah, give it to the 19-year-old Saka. I'm not ready for it. Right? Yeah, like, well, yeah. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't buy that for a second. Right. Southgate, Southgate's come out and said that he intentionally, he chose the penalty takers and, and the order, which like, okay, cool. Why the fuck did you go with the takers that you went with? I don't know right? if another like, person in the country of England would have done that order. No, it's just, I mean, it's kind of simple. In penalties, you generally go for the more experienced heads, assuming they're relatively technically capable, right? Um, and put them on the spot, right? Because they, I mean, having someone who's 28, 29 years old as opposed to someone who's 19, of course, it's not an immense difference in, te- in technical ability, but like at least that person who's 28, 29 might have had a few, you know, tumultuous experiences or a few high pressure experiences in their career that can, they can help, you know, that familiarity can help calm them down as they're walking up over the ball. Right. Um, and you're thinking about how Grealish just Grealish took penalties in the championship playoffs. Um, you think Sterling has taken countless penalties for, for Manchester city over the years. So, I mean, it, I, I mean, but at the end of the day, like I'm not, the penalties suck. Penalties are penalties. It's a shit so, show, but yeah, at the same time, it, it, it it's your job. It, it, the game was the game was lost. I think at the forty-five minute mark, um, when we when we said, okay, um, you know, we're gonna do the same thing. And it's it, and the frustrating part is it's the exact same goddamn lesson as the Croatia game, right? 
where instead of saying, hey, let's, stay, let's stick in this 5-2-2-1, um, he could have said, you know what, we're going to bring out an attacking player, we'll take the game to them, we'll control the ball for large spells of the game. Um, and worst comes to worst, the last 10 minutes, we can then drop back. But it, these teams are too talented. Team, teams are too talented. You know, world-class players all over the pitch. You can't just defend for 45 minutes. No. Right? Like, you, like, you just can't do it. So you can defend for maybe five, 10-minute blocks, um, but I think it's the same lesson as the, as the semifinal. And that's what makes it so fucking frustrating well, because, you know, we're going to keep having these deep tournament runs and people are going to keep thinking because there's no like, there's no AB test, right? Like you can't say, um, Hey, so, you know, Southgate did this wrong or Southgate did this uh, right because there's no other, you know, there's no parallel universe where we're tracking a different England managers, you know, so it's really hard to say Southgate's doing a poor job because, of course, he's gotten to the semifinal and the final in the last two major international tournaments. But I really do think if, you know, if Roberto Mancini is our manager, and I, I saw an interview, uh, I saw someone say that today, if Roberto Mancini is our manager, just like the Italian manager, I think we win that, that game yesterday. Yeah, I mean, Chiellini said before the match that he thinks that England's bench could have made the final on their own. I mean, that's the frustrating thing, I think, is you're not going to get these opportunities often. And you have the the World Cup and then this, and England really could not have lucked out much more in either of those runs in terms of who they faced, especially in the knockout stages. I mean, it was like, it was a huge storyline for the World Cup and for this that, wow, how are England getting such an easy draw? And you go up against an Italy team that's on an all-time run right now, so obviously that's a, that's a tough matchup in the final, but I mean, you're playing Denmark, Ukraine, like... Yeah, it's. I mean, the, the hope for England and what all kind of, you know, I think everyone who's anyone who's listening, thank you. Um, you know, I, I I think it's important that I just sort of say that again. I don't want to sound bitter or annoyed or you know angry. I'm not. You know, this Southgate out. Like, do I think that he needs to be replaced? Like, no, maybe not. Um, but I think you know whether it's a senior head in leadership and assistant coach. You know, Steve Holland, whoever it is, um, a captain of the team, needs to step up, and we need uh, in key moments in in latter stages of tournaments and establish that we're going to play with with confidence and bravado and trust our natural ability um, because we should given given our bench. And I don't think we did that. Um, and I think that we played we played sort of we played you know, a little scared, defensive and, and cowardly. Yeah, and uh, played not to lose. And what happens when you play not to lose? You um, lose. I, I mean, you'll, you'll you'll get pretty far in the tournament, clearly, right? Because you're going to be hard to score on. But eventually, um, eventually, you're going to need to lean on uh, against good teams, right? Like against against teams that are worse than us, the Denmarks of the world, right? Like, I mean, we conceded two goals all, all tournament, right? Um, which is which is brilliant. We we didn't really play any prolific attacking sides. Germany probably should have had a goal against us. Um, you know maybe one or two. So it's like you know we, we can really defend well as a unit against some of these worst teams. But when you play a team of similar skill level who presses you high up the pitch, like you've got to be able to be brave and and, and sort of play a a more uh, attractive, more attacking, more um, high tempo up the up the pitch style of play and. You know, we didn't adopt that, um, and you know the 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 last thing I'll say uh, is in which in an optimistic fashion is I do think over the coming years, you know, Chris, you just said these these chances don't come along that often, and of course I agree. International tournaments are only every two years, but um, but this England, you know, the the England youth setup and some of the other youngsters and the under twenty ones and the under eighteens and the amount of uh, playing time some of these young players are getting for for um, the respective clubs in the Premier League. Um, is it bodes well for the England? It bodes well for England over the next, 
you know, 30, 40 years. We, we talk, our podcast is often about the Premier League alone, and a lot of these, and the Premier League is really, really establishing itself as head and shoulders, you know, uh, with two English English teams in the Champions League final this past year, some of the financial troubles in Italy and Spain. The Premier League is really emerging as the clear number one. It always has been, according to our pod, but the clear number one um, domestic league in, in world football. And so as if that continues, and... Um, you know, these, these English teams continue to bring a lot of good young players through. I think England's going to be a really, really strong force in world football for, for decades to come. But I think we'll look back and we'll say, like, you know, South and Southgate might get even credit for, like, getting that train rolling. Um, but it's just hard f- for me watching the game tactically um, and, and watching the same thing flash in front, in front of us for me to not feel like, you know, with, with a small adjustment or... Um, you know, a small bit of wisdom or a little bit of foresight, uh, we could have we could have won that game yesterday. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say is, um, Marcus Rashford is an absolute lad, and if you haven't read the message uh, that he posted on Twitter, go find it. Um, it'll take you two minutes. It's a great read. He is mature beyond his years, and um, I, I like I said, I think it's just terrible to put him in that type of spot. But he handled it like a, like a champ after the fact. Um, and I think he's someone that any person who's English should be really proud to have representing them for their country. But, um, you know, I hopefully like these younger players like a Rashford, like a Sancho, like a uh, Saka, you know, have a short term memory with it. They both they all have great careers ahead of them. I don't think you can really put the blame on any of those three. And, um, you know, like the racism and things coming out after the fact are unfortunately all too. Um, all too unsurprising and uh, and pathetic. But, um, you know, it was, it was a great run. It's a great team. If you give Southgate credit for anything, I think they clearly had a lot of great chemistry on that team. I think the, the group of young players, they really get along and like each other. And um, I think they'll be hungry the next time they do play together. But, yeah, it seems like a missed opportunity. But at the end of the day, I, I feel the same way as you. It was It was a great run. You should be happy about it. And you know, on the next, on to the next one, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, luckily we got about three or four weeks here before we just pick right back up with, uh, you know, the, yeah, the season. Yeah, that's, so. and that's, that's the beautiful part of it. Yeah. Up the Villa. Um, and, and yeah, we're back to the prem. It, it, it just, it, um, I, yeah, I had bad dreams about it last night. I actually was just, dreaming about it too. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's, I'm always a little restless on a Sunday night, but it was a little extra. <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's just fucking stupid. It's just, uh, it just, yeah, it just seemed, I'm just dumbfounded. I mean, I, again, if we, if we lose on a individual error, we lose because someone, you know, an own goal, something, a red card, whatever, right? Like, um, but we lost playing very conservative, very slow, um, and uh, and very defensive football, very systematic football. They and kind of they kind of went think, down looking think, in the and, batter's box. Yeah, exactly. And I think when that happens, and, and this is just how my opinion. This isn't just for this game, but I think in football in general, when that happens, the person who is held accountable is the manager, right? You think you play Tony Pulis tactics, Sam Allardyce tactics, right? Like it's just in any workplace, the boss. Def- yeah, uh, yeah, but I think, it, it, but it's different. If you're playing, you know, if England are, are playing a brand of, if England play the style that they played all tournament, 
and Harry Maguire, you know, gets a red card, um, or you know, Kieran Trippier has an own goal, or Pickford has a, you know, a, drops, you know, two shots and they go through his legs or whatever. Like no one's saying it's anything on on Southgate, right? But the, quite frankly, I think the players executed at a really high level, and so I'm really, really pr- proud of the team and the players. And I, yeah, I mean, all the f- fucking bollocks around, like, uh, the, you know, the team had great spirit and the team was so good. It's a bunch of fucking 23, 24 year old dudes. Um, who are playing well, out of COVID on their home turf? Okay, like, of course they're going well, to have a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think I just don't. I, and I'm not critiquing you. I'm saying I don't think Southgate should get credit for like fostering a positive team culture. Like, uh, it, I feel like it's such an organic thing. It's like one of those things only a really fucking terrible coach gets wrong. Right? Uh, I don't really necessarily think yeah. it's something he deserves credit. I for. think, um, yeah. I mean, like, I'm not trying to give him a ton of credit for that. I think I'm more so saying that I'm, uh, you know, excited about how passionate the young players are and how much it seems like they really enjoy playing at an international level but um i do think there's a little bit of credit to be given there because you're you're also talking about guys who are making you know tens hundreds of millions of dollars and uh they all have egos and you know there's 26 guys in this squad you're you look at jack Grealish. i mean they have the fans cheering for him coming on they want him to come on every minute of every game that tournament he didn't play that much he came on in the semifinal and got subbed off in the semifinal. And that's a guy that's going to come back, and he'll say positive things about Gareth Southgate, I'm sure. And I think there is some credit to be given to bringing the team together to believe in something big. And it's not that hard, you're right. Like, the, the storylines are all there. The motivation should all be there. But it doesn't always pan out that way. Um, so I think there, even if it's a tiny bit of credit, I do think he deserves a little bit there because I think that you have to manage a lot of personalities and egos. And you're, you know, you're a manager at work yourself. It's, you can't just rely on talent alone. You got to get the people together. You got to get them bought in. You got to get them to play well and work well together. And I think he did that for the most part. And I think, I think a lot of uh, the younger players would like to see him stay in charge, which I think does say a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, it's not the kind of game I think. Anyone who's calling for him to lose his job, I think that's harsh. Um, but also, if we're going to give him a knighthood, I think that might be a little bit... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think that's a little bit fucking excessive. And yeah, I, I think I think it's somewhere in between where I don't think, you know, I don't think you fire him. Um, but... Uh, but it's, it's also... It's also hard to... It's hard to say, you know, I mean, unless they go, uh, you know, another final, if they go another sort of finals finish in the World Cup, um, I mean, they, they said that they, their, their goal seven, I think seven years ago, I watched the English FA, they said their goal was to get uh, to the semifinals of this Euro, because they knew a lot of the games would be played in England at Wembley, and then to, the, uh, and then to win the World Cup in 2022. So um, we'll see what happens. That'll take place in December 2022 in Qatar. Um, not very, not very different than this international tournament um, from an English travel perspective. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the goal, and I think that's what Southgate was hired to do. And if they go out and win that, obviously he's a hero, and you know, all this is part of the process, trusting the process. Um, if they don't go and win that, like they said they wanted to, I think it was seven years ago, um, then yeah, I mean, I think easily the best best team on on paper in the world has gone over three in international tournaments. Yeah, well. I know we said we were going to spend about 15 minutes on England and or over a half hour. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what happens, but that's what I wanted to do. So how about uh, just any like overall impressions of the tournament, any storylines, any big things that you wanted to go over outside of England or Italy or the final? Um, what are your other reactions? Yeah, a um, couple other just sort of players that I think 
burst onto the scene, um, Michael Richards style. I think Damsgaard um, from Denmark really impressed. I actually think, and this isn't you know a discredit to Christian Eriksson or anything, but um, one thing that when I watch Christian Eriksson, I don't think he moves as as quick and well as he used to. Um, and he sort of gets caught dwelling on the ball a few times. He's got a beautiful touch, a great distributor, distributor of the ball. Um, I thought Damsgaard for, Dem, to, for Denmark actually helped that team once once he stepped into the side on Christian's behalf. Um, and, and so he was a big standout for me. Um, um, Patrick Schick also bursting onto the yeah, scene for Czech Republic with, with five goals. Schick, definitely. He actually led the tournament in uh, shots as well. But um, Denmark, real quick, two other guys uh, on that team too. Dolberg, I think, is going to move to the Prem probably. And Mala, their left wing back, was great. I just want to give uh, yeah, some because I think those are two guys you're going to see probably move clubs as well in the next month, and deservedly so. They both played mm-hmm. great. But yeah, Patrick Schick was another name on my list, and really the Czech Republic in general. Um, I know we, we talked a lot about Thomas Suchek over the season in West Ham, and we really have Suchek and Kufal, but that Czech Republic team was really good. I mean, they, they probably exceeded. Um, their abilities a little bit with how far they advanced, but I thought they were a very impressive team, and Schick was a big reason why, definitely. Goal of the yeah, tournament, 100%. too. And I think, I think you saw sort of a few of those sort of like... Uh, Zinchenko. It's like a high school, or, or uh, like a college, like mid-major. Um, you know, uh, sort of those college mid-majors uh, advancing a little bit further than, than you're used to this tournament, right? I kind of think about Denmark's one of those, Czech Republic's one of those. Ukraine. Um Ukraine's one of those. Switzerland, so I think um, kind of. Switzerland's one of those. Yeah, exactly. And those are, you know, those are, uh, you know, Ukraine, Denmark, Czech Republic, um, Switzerland. I think we're, that's what, uh, Ukraine, Denmark. So, uh, that's four of the last eight teams, right? Um, so, um, I thought Alexander Izak and um, Forsberg on uh, on Sweden were both fantastic when they played. Um, I also love to see France go out. And so you think like the landscape of this tournament is very different. Like if England play France, you know, in a later stage, uh, you know, that's, that's a really interesting game. It's um, cause France are obviously the favorites going into the tournament. You know, it's, it's interesting. We didn't really talk about this and we didn't preview the Euros really on our pod, but it's something that might've come up. Yeah, they did expand it obviously this year. And so it made it really easy to get out of the group stage. But what it did was there's 16 teams in the knockout stage and it created a lot more, uh, craziness, I think, with the draw. Because you look, look at England's side of the bracket and you look at the other side, you, know, you had Belgium, Portugal, France, Spain, all drawing like really tough matchups on the other side of the bracket there. Um, and, and on England's side, it's basically, mm-hmm. if they get through Germany, they, they feel really good about themselves. And I don't know if that is... I don't know, it creates some awesome matchups, right? Like, everyone wants to watch Portugal play Belgium or... Um, Right. You know, whatever whatever it may be, those matchups early on. There were some really, really good ones. England, Germany, too, in the round of 16. But, you know, when we talk about World Cup expansion, too, it's going to create a lot more of that, where there's maybe some teams that, I think, go on longer runs because they've had some easy matchups, and some of the big giants mm-hmm. end up drawing each other in the knockouts. Because you had a group that had three of the best teams in the world were in the same group. And so one of those teams has got to finish third, right, um, with Portugal, Germany, and uh, France all in the same group so um, it just created a little bit more chaos and I think that while that was cool I think it did maybe take away from some of the um, some of the matchups down the stretch you know England Denmark was a good match but 
Um, you know, if you if you get like France I, or Portugal or some of these other big clubs in there, or England plays Germany in the semifinal instead of Denmark. Um, I don't know. It just yeah, you know it makes saying? it makes the tournament yeah, it makes the tournament a lot less top heavy. Um, I think I, I agree with you. I mean, you can you can encounter worse teams further in the tournament. Um, but the which as a you know as a neutral maybe is less entertaining. But it's fun. Right? I mean, it's harder um, to hype up a but, match when Denmark's in it. But it was they were a fun team to watch. Like if you're an actual fan, I don't think you really hate it. But maybe for like a right. neutral perspective or a casual, like they might watch England Germany, but they might not watch England Denmark. Yeah, but the inverse side of things is is all of a sudden every group game matters, right? And so well, one thing kinda that though, sucks sometimes because you could finish you third and get four points, and then you're just through. Like that's the thing; it's so much easier to that, advance. No, that, that's and the seating that, might that, matter. That, that, but that's what I'm saying. You could draw third place Portugal or whatever, right? And right, but that but what I'm but what I'm saying is it every group game does matter, right? Whereas before, when only two teams advance. Every group game doesn't. You can be out yeah. before your final game. I guess of the, of the there's group, something right? riding on every so. game, but you're not necessarily rewarded the right way. Like Belgium win their group and they have to draw the defending champions with Cristiano Ronaldo in their first round at 16. And they, they got out of it, but like that's not fair when you win your group. Like you should be, you know, you should be getting a decent draw. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I guess I would, I would have a very similar opinion if that was England faced on that same path to the final. So yeah. Um, I think from a, from a player standpoint, obviously the Alvaro Morata narrative was interesting, right? He was terrible and then great and then terrible, missing his penalty at the end. You just kind of think he's a bit out of his depth in the Spanish squad. Spain had um, the uh, they had the most um, missed XG in the tournament. So basically, like Alvaro Morata and Gerardo Moreno, both they were the two uh, players that basically converted the worst in the entire tournament when it comes to XG. And Spain still mm-hmm. scored the most goals in the tournament. I saw that stat. Yeah, it's unreal. Yeah. And so and so I almost it's funny that ties into the England discussion so well where it's like Spain go out of that tournament and no one is looking at Luis Enrique, the manager, thinking, uh, it didn't do a great oh, job. Oh, they went for it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's just thinking, uh, well, you know, we, we didn't have a top class striker. And so you almost think if if Enrique is England's manager and Southgate's Spain's manager, they probably meet each other in the final and it's a brilliant game. Um, because Spain probably needs to be a little bit more pragmatic without a, a number nine or strong con, you know, con, conversion up top or until they get a better striker. Um, and England with Enrique, you know, we, we may be scoring they would fly, you know, yeah. 20, 20 goals in the tournament or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. But I think overall, I mean, it was... It was a ton of fun to watch. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, because we do talk about this a lot on the pod, at least I talk about this a lot on the pod, but I think it's noteworthy as we get going into the Prem season. Um, how much different was watching the video replay in the Euros versus watching the Premier League? So Night and day. I, it was used, yeah, it was used much, much more sparingly. Well. So much less often. I sort um, of. I, I don't know if it was even. Like they definitely didn't change a lot of calls, but it didn't seem like the, it was. It wasn't the focus of the broadcast or the discussion. They didn't stop mm-hmm. play very much. They did it a lot while it was going on, and they were very hesitant to change things. But it definitely used it, and it just didn't feel like it took over the game 
uh, the way it does in the Premier League. And even when they showed yeah, the replays, exactly. we're not getting the little like you know paper thin lines out and moving them back and forth and like oh is it over this guy's knee or this elbow or whatever. It's like no, there's some guy in a different city or up in the booth or whatever handling that. And the commentators are going to talk about it a little bit and then they're going to make the decision we're going to move on because we don't need to necessarily scrutinize everything to that minute of a detail. I don't think. And it works for me a lot better. I'd much rather see VAR move towards something like that where. We can get rid of an egregious decision if we need to, but it's not going to just totally disrupt the game nonstop. And it didn't really feel like it did at all for me in this. Yeah, I agree. I think the I think these games in the Euros were much more in control of the referee on the pitch and much less in the hands of the video replay referee. Um, whereas in the Premier League, I feel like the video replay referee has a huge influence. Like whoever's up in the booth has a huge influence on how the game's going to pan out. Um, and so... You know, the, the downside of that in the tournament, I thought there were some really, really poorly refereed games in this tournament. There were a handful where, you know, because the referee is in more control and they're not reversing many decisions unless it's, you know, completely egregious um, and, and, and a terrible decision, they're not really overturning a whole ton. Um, you know, I, I didn't think, I thought the referee was pretty terrible in the final. Um, yeah, I, you know, he, 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 he let, let probably too much go. Yes. Um, I, and so I thought I, I thought I saw some poorly refereed games, but... To your point, like, uh, with the quality of referee in the Premier League, one would think that that would really enhance the Premier League experience, right? Like, giving the, the on-field referee a little bit more fluidity and control and, and confidence with their decisions. Because I think, you know, when they're constantly get, you know, when there's almost, you know, when they check the monitor three or four times a game for a call, you know, you know or twice, like, after the 90th minute for two different calls, it just seems a bit... You know, it's it's got to take take some confidence out of them. Blowing I, the I completely agree. Place. I think it is a confidence thing, and I think they just kind of back the referees on the pitch a little bit more, um, and say, "Look, this is mm-hmm. your your show. Run it, and if anything goes wrong, we kind of have your back here." Versus, like, hey, like, you know, every single decision you make today is going to be put under a microscope, so don't screw it up. Um, like, like in the semifinal, in the, <laughs> yeah, in the in the, in the semifinal, that foul on Harry Kane that he. Want that wasn't a penalty that actually went against Kane. I think in the Premier League that's a penalty. I I thought that was more of a penalty than the one they called on Sterling. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it is it is it is very interesting to think about how that will translate to, to to Premier League football. I mean, overall, I thought the tournament was fantastic. I think thought the games were great. So many games that I watched as a neutral, where I was like, "Fucking hell, it's end to end stuff." A lot of goals. A lot of games ended in penalties. Um, yeah, I think as a neutral, it was a pretty electric tournament. It was really fun, and it makes me excited for the next one. It makes me really excited for the World Cup, which is only a year and a half away, which is crazy. Um, and you know, I think uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of countries that should be pretty optimistic about their future. England, one of them. There are a couple other countries that maybe feel like they might be missing their window, like Belgium, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, who was, you know, that this is probably their third major tournament in a row where they were one of the favorites and they have this golden generation. And now you got guys like Eden Hazard past his prime. De Bruyne is going to be in his 30s at the World Cup, or close to it, right around 30 in the, in the World Cup. Um, and a lot of these guys, um, you know, Belgium. Their defense, their, their defense, defense is really, is really old. old. Vertonghen, yeah. Vermaelen, Alderweireld, they're just old. Yeah, so, you know, there's there's countries like that that will feel like, oh, man, well, maybe we've we've missed our, our window. And then you got you still got so many talented teams, though, like England, like France, who are going to be good forever. Um, you, you probably, I think if you're a, a Spaniard, you probably feel pretty good about that tournament. I don't think they really had high expectations going in. Um, Italy has a lot of older players, but... They show that they've got a lot of young guys coming up too that are going to be impactful players for them, and 
Um, I don't know. It, it makes me excited for the future landscape of Europe. I think that we'll probably talk about this more on a pod in the next couple of weeks here, but and you even mentioned it, and we, we talked a little bit about players, and that's one of my favorite things that comes out of these tournaments is the players that, you know, finally get on a national stage and um, play against, you know, elite competition and, and show up and are immediately linked with all these big clubs. I love that kind of stuff. Um, and so seeing these, like, Danish players or Czech players or whoever getting linked with these clubs, it's going to be fun. It's going to see if it's gonna be fun to see if they end up actually um, being able to produce in a higher league. But, you know, there's a lot of guys that play in, in Sweden or Denmark or wherever they just don't get the shine um, on an international stage, and then they step up and uh, and put on a show. And it, it's just a really cool, um, cool tournament, cool platform. It's it was really easy to watch in the U.S., although it does suck, you know, working during a lot of the games during the week. But the coverage was really accessible, and I think um, as an American, every time there's a big tournament like this, it gets a little bit more popular and more popular and more popular over here to the point where I think the 2022 World Cup is going to be huge. And then, you know, they'll host the World Cup in 2026. And at that point, the U.S. is going to be another team that they're hoping to have a lot of these players come up in their prime and maybe be a little bit more of a threat then. Um, but international football is just a totally different beast. But it's it's really fun. And I think the fact that we don't really see anything like this um, other than every other year uh, just makes it a little bit more special. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll remember this tournament for a long time and for the good and the bad of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean... Yeah, it's it's it sucks. I think um, you know, appreciate everybody. Obviously, everybody listening to 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 us to me vent. I obviously like. I think I said. Uh, what did I say? I said uh, my 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 final thoughts on this, and then and then we talked for another for ten minutes. Ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just tough. It just if it, it's really hard to put kind of like for me to put my finger on it to be honest. Um, and I I think. Uh, you know, I think that's how maybe a lot of England feels, um, where you know. You, you want to feel really proud, but it, it, it's hard to swallow the same narrative that we just took from the World Cup, um, you know, uh, a, few, a few years ago. It's hard to swallow that same narrative of like, hey, you know, we've done so well, done so far. Like, that's great. Well done. Um, we're, we're done everyone proud. You know, it's, it, it's the same shit we were told a few years ago. And that's great and awesome. Yeah, of course. They haven't embarrassed England, of course. Yeah, they've done us proud, but like... Um, you know, we're almost asking for a little bit more of like a, a showing to do us proud, right? Like I think a, as a team, you should be expected to do more than do the shirt proud. You should you should be expected to, to go on and win things with the kind of talent that they have. And um, yeah, just that 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 final decision, that final sort of bravado to go and win the game. I think it, again, I can't read it right enough. I think if if Safi goes to a four two three one at half, we win. Um, I even think if he. Last thing, I was going to say last thing I wanted to ask, and um, we don't spend much time on this, but did you talk to your dad? Did he have any reactions, Any uh, anything that would be interesting for uh, someone who is, you know, a generation ahead of us and spent a lot more of his life in England than we have? Um, I think he's angry, I think. Maybe that's, uh, you know, you having a little bit more optimism, being younger, seeing this whole future ahead of you, and him uh, seeing, you know, first cup final and... 55 years and wondering if he'll ever get back in his lifetime but um yeah i mean i you know obviously this is a little bit of a somber podcast i think it's uh it's good to get the reactions out there it's good to kind of get the emotions uh on the table and hopefully people enjoy it i mean i think um as far as the pod goes we're, we're planning on 
Um, doing a couple more episodes here before the, the season kicks off, maybe some transfer stuff, maybe a little bit of a season preview. We'll definitely be um, dialing it back in more to Premier League-related content at that point. But um, it feels good to get back in the booth here. And I don't know, do you have anything else, Jack, on your mind? Anything else you want to talk about? No, that's it, guys. We'll be coming back with Premier League action, as, as always. Um, you know, Give us a follow on Twitter. Um, yeah, it goes to show pod. We'll get out the NPC Predictor League soon. For those who listen to this who are in the Fantasy League, um, buckle up. we got more Ridgeways in the Premier League this season, so you, know, you should be trembling. Um, and we still have got hashtag chives in the yip. So watch out if you're down there in the yip. Nick Scarlatelli. Um, Shots fired at Chives. But, yeah. Uh, I think that might might be like, you know, 2% of our uh, audience gets that one. But <laughs> anyway, um, I appreciate everyone listening. It's been fun. Yeah, it just goes to show. Everybody's human.